The OCD and Anxiety Podcast by Robert James Coaching. Hello and welcome to the OCD and Anxiety Podcast, where we explore how to have a more positive relationship with anxiety disorders, taking back control so that you can start living the life you choose and not the one chosen by your fears. Hello and welcome to episode 137. I hope that you guys are doing very well. And if you do happen to be struggling with OCD or anxiety, you can get a free session with me. All you need to do to get that is to head over to my website, www.robertjamescoaching.com. And there you can leave me a message and we can arrange the free session. In today's podcast, I interview Justin K. Hughes, MALPC and owner of Dallas Counseling. Um, He is a clinician and a writer, and he is passionate about helping those impacted by OCD. His treatment approach utilizes CBT and techniques from other approaches. He is a common contributor to the field of OCD treatment through writings, live streams, conferences, and more. And he serves on the IOCDF uh, Faith Task Force and is the Dallas um, Ambassador for OCD Texas. Working with a diversity of clients, he is also dual trained in psychology and theology, regularly helping Christians who seek uh, to integrate faith. Check out www.justinhughes.com to stay in the loop and to get free guides and handouts. As you'll hear in the conversation today, Justin is somebody with an enormous amount of knowledge about OCD and anxiety, and he shares so many really helpful and valuable uh, tips for dealing with it more effectively. And a big part of today's conversation is is discussing the role of spirituality in helping us to, to overcome OCD in the long term. Being a Christian, Justin obviously um, views it from from this perspective and discusses today some of the pitfalls that people who are uh, Christian tend to struggle with when it comes to OCD treatment. But as well as this, he also shares the importance of spirituality in general in in helping people to to manage OCD. So I think I think you'll find it's a, a really interesting conversation. Um, hopefully, you will find it helpful. As always, if you do have any questions, then uh, do please let me know. And I really hope you enjoy. Many thanks. Hi, Justin. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Robert, for having me. It's great to have you here. So to start off with, can you just tell us uh, a little bit about yourself, please? Sure. Yeah. So Justin Hughes, I'm a a private practice licensed professional counselor in Dallas, Texas, uh, passionate about treating OCD uh, and anxiety and related issues. Uh, so uh, it sounds like you have some questions that we'll get into as far as how I got into uh, specifically treating OCD, which is a fun story to tell. Um, but I ultimately just really love this work and uh, work with a, uh, a range of experiences uh, so we'll talk about the fact that OCD is a heterogeneous uh, 
disorder encompassing a lot of different things. It's always interesting to work with folks and it wouldn't be interesting if there weren't hope. Um, so that's a little bit of why I'm passionate because there is hope. And uh, so this is where I have camped out at this stage in life, uh, all things related to OCD, anxiety, writing advocacy, uh, et cetera. Thanks for having me. Fantastic. Yeah, that's really great. And um, yeah, I think hope is such an important word when we're struggling yeah. with OCD, you know, yeah. keeping that in mind is, uh, is really important. Great. So to start off, could you kind of tell us a bit about why you decided to become um, an OCD therapist? Mm, yeah, yeah. So it's the people and the success of treatment, simply put. Um, I want to actually start with a quote. <laughs> I typically start right. to talk, but it's from Jonathan Grayson. And Grayson, in the introduction to uh, it's, uh, it's a manual that he has, his goal group, it's support groups for OCD sufferers. He said, those who know me know that I see people as individuals and hate to make generalizations. However, it seems to me that those suffering from OCD are among the kindest and most understanding people I've ever met. <laughs> yeah it's so yes. true having having met a lot of people who struggle with ocd absolutely yeah. yeah yes yeah and at this stage um so i've been in sessions with clients for almost 15 years um and so just getting a number of examples i probably haven't hit that 1000 different client mark uh but have probably come across five six seven hundred 800 different cases um, at the upper ends. And I might be as well biased um, to say this, but um, I think those who suffer with OCD are just some of the sweetest people in the world. So as far as getting this start, uh, I naturally was pulled and gravitated towards these folks who were the sweetest people in the world. <laughs> I remember visually, I can't remember exactly who it was, but I remember visually getting a hold of the OCD workbook by Hyman and Pedrick. Uh, and I was at a, a clinic here in the Dallas area where I did my training and they had a day hospital and I was doing the individual session. We did three individuals in addition to the group work. And I sat down and though I hadn't had extensive training outside of a very basic introduction and in abnormal psych and maybe a few conversations and staff meetings and with my supervisor, uh, I started to dig into it more when I had this client who's one of his um, working diagnoses was OCD. And I remembered very specifically that just simply sharing the OCD cycle, the uh, having the intrusion and the distress mm. because it's interpreted as threatening and then wanting relief and so uh, acting on the compulsion, but then uh, reinforcing that was almost like life-changing to, to the person. They were amazed that they were understood. And they can't remember the person, it's just so etched in my memory that they were just so grateful, so thankful, so kind, so sweet in the middle of their suffering that me is this brand new lowly intern that hardly knew anything about OCD. I'm using a workbook to present to them <laughs> <laughs> ideas about OCD. 
that I, it would be hard to say that that started um, the, the fascination with treating OCD, uh, but that's just such a, a key example of what I came across again and again and again, that I got into the work, it started to make sense, seemed to help people, and then the people that uh, I would offer help to were just so incredibly kind. And <clears throat> so I actually uh, spent several years ultimately uh, focusing more on addiction. Uh, so that was my initial primary specialization. <clears throat> and at the same time, still doing all the general mental health work. And then uh, when folks would come my way, because I, I didn't train uh, in ERP specifically, when folks would come my way uh, for OCD, if they weren't referred out, maybe I was treating them for something else, I started to get uh, pulled in in a, a good way where I'm like, oh, I, I don't know what to do and I, I need to know. And so at that point, I started to um, dig in further, not only through uh, books, uh, but to start talking, reaching out. Uh, how do I go for advanced training? Um, first big step was to uh, find an OCD expert in the area and sit under their uh, training, uh, let them supervise uh, some of the folks that I saw. This was well after I had my full licensure. Um, and then they themselves had done some of the trainings through the International OCD Foundation. Uh, so when I took my first general BTTI, uh, it's the Behavior Therapy Training Institute, that was, that was nothing less than, than life-changing. It changed kind of the trajectory of my career because not only did I have the personal experience with incredible people that I'd worked with and the interest in treating OCD, but there's just this click. I remember talking to my wife, it's like, I think I want to make this the main thing that I treat. <laughs> and it just took off from there. Fantastic. That's really fascinating. And um, what are some of, you know, speaking about uh, the, these sweet, kind people who struggle with OCD, um, with the experience that you've had over the years, what would you say are, are kind of some of the main things that, that people really struggle with, uh, with mm -hmm. OCD? Oh man, um, across the board, it can be so much. Um, sounds like we're gonna get into OCD and faith uh, later. Definitely um, struggle with, uh, yeah, I would say all, all the normal things, quote unquote normal, that uh, those without OCD just take for granted. Um, so sometimes just the uh, the quote-unquote normal of um, living out one's faith beliefs and not being dogged by obsessions around them and feeling the urge to um, act on compulsion. So a classic example is just opening the Bible or praying or taking a quiet time. Oh, how often clients have learned to give into that push-pull uh, relationship uh, of uh, keep the dog off the bed. <laughs> we were talking about this earlier <laughs> with the storm, dog wanting to get on the bed, but no, it's not okay. But just giving in to, uh, I fine, go ahead. Just all, instead of doing this personal thing that I value this personal Bible study or this personal time of prayer, I'm gonna find out ways to, to make it doable. And so shifting even sometimes to a great extent, one's life around 
those things, avoidance. Um, and, and really, it can go on and on to all sorts of different things. I think almost every area of life, if not every area of life, can be impacted by OCD. Absolutely, yeah. And um, what would you say, obviously, you know, we could sit here and we could talk about ERP, we could talk about ACT, um, but we've already gone into quite a lot of detail into those different areas. Um, mm -hmm. But could you, could you maybe just tell us a little bit about your kind of uh, preferred uh, treatment approaches, which obviously is going to include, I'm sure, ERP and ACT, uh, amongst other things as well? Uh, primal scream therapy uh, is my treatment of choice for OCD. I'm teasing. <laughs> it's, <laughs> that actually is a thing, but uh, <laughs> definitely thinking, not. A what thing is he to... talking about? <laughs> <laughs> it would be great, Robert, if I just totally uh, uh, bait and switched you. Uh, you're like, oh, I think this guy's ERP. And I'm like, hey, I would like to sell my new line of uh, supplements here <laughs> on your show. No, um, so cognitive behavioral therapy, uh, and as a subset of that, of course, exposure uh, and response prevention, uh, most important part of it, just to be clear. Uh, so, and then I'll also use some of the adjuncts, ACT, acceptance and commitment therapy, uh, motivational interviewing, which uh, did a lot of that, especially in addiction work uh, back in the day. Uh, and uh, sometimes just borrow a little bit from DBT, dialectical behavior therapy, uh, et cetera, but not officially right. trained in that. So that's okay. I'm going to, if, if we can just, um, you were kind of, yeah, if you could just carry on from where you just were before that phone rang. Yeah, sure. And, um, hopefully they won't call me back. Sorry. Your thing is you're connected to my uh, telephone because mm -hmm, mm -hmm. my internet in the house today isn't working properly. So ah, gotcha. they call no. back, I apologize, but it's, it's the only solution for today. No worries. Yeah, uh, my background, especially in music, involves a lot of different recording and so forth. So you say no more, Chief. <laughs> yeah. uh, okay, so in addition to cognitive behavioral therapy uh, with exposure and response prevention, I'll sometimes uh, incorporate various adjuncts like ACT, uh, acceptance and commitment therapy, motivational interviewing used extensively uh, with the addiction world um, as I got my start in that. And uh, then sometimes uh, just additional things, tools and techniques that I'll, I'll borrow a lot of mindfulness skills, radical acceptance from DBT, but I'm not uh, very formally trained in, uh, in those other methods. Okay, fantastic. And we were discussing earlier, um, you know, I, I think something that I like to focus on a lot myself these days is um, looking at rumination as, as being something that can be so problematic um, when it when it comes to to OCD and I wanted to kind of talk about that a little bit um, I know that that some of your uh, treatment focus is is looking at cognitions but actually using cognition in a positive way to enable to help people to, to with OCD could you kind yeah. of tell us a little bit about about that and and how also you know you uh you help people to to kind of make sure they're making a distinction between you know helpful con cognitions and unhelpful ones yeah yeah so let's just think of it from a human standpoint uh, and a functioning standpoint uh, uh where thinking is an essential part of how we function what we do 
and something like OCD gets in the way of that, back to the impairments. Uh, in fact, there's a lot of in executive function impairments that, uh, that OCD can cause. Uh, so even in decision-making, uh, et cetera. And while I am definitely a strong proponent of exposure and response prevention and love to read the, uh, the quick educational posts that I see on social media about don't give the thought credit, keep moving, keep going. And sometimes we, of course, we'll be doing that in therapy uh, with the person. Uh, it's so essential that the person as an individual, the person as a person learns to have a different relationship with, with all these things, not just compulsions. Um, because if they just go through their life with a, nope, huh, not, gonna, huh, not, not gonna think about that, uh, that that's gonna be problematic. Um, mm. it's a, we have to learn a new way of thinking, a new way of behaving, lest we forget it's cognitive behavioral. Uh, it's just such that oftentimes the behavioral uh, needs most of the focus because it's most of what is absent, uh, I believe, uh, in what people come to therapy with. Um, but the thinking is a huge, huge part. Yeah, I mean, that, that's interesting as well. So, so effectively, what you're saying is that if we're not careful, um, mm -hmm. not allowing ourselves to, to think about certain things or overthink yep. certain yep. things can just become another type of avoidance. Yes, thought suppression. Uh, in other words, uh, that's a great summary. Thanks. Uh, I can be abstract and all over the place. So rein me at any point. Excellent summary. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. If we get into that spot where it's like, okay, well, now I know the right thing and that's ERP. So I need to do ERP. Uh, people can, uh, under the guise of ERP, start brand new compulsions. Uh, it, it has to be uh, functionally assessed, as we would say in the clinical world, uh, we have to understand what is the function of this thought, of this behavior. Now, not every moment does it need to be functionally assessed because that's a whole other set of hypervigilance problems com compulsing. Uh, but every now and then we want to be tuning in with, okay, thought life, um, am I carrying with me uh, any, uh, any, well, we'll get into the details of this, but thought processes, metacognitions, cognitive distortions actually need attention. Now, that's very different from the rumination side. That is absolutely not an exhortation to spend too much time in the thought realm because a lot of problems come from that, of course. How can people tell the difference between, you know, a helpful worry, something that they actually do need to, to to think through and to to give some time and attention to and something that is actually just you know unhelpful and a rumination at heart something that's not going to get them moving in the, in the direction that they want to go yeah yeah uh how many days do you have <laughs> <laughs> um first of all let me encourage on especially the growth the learning the acceptance side I think that that's a journey for all of us. Um, and that's a journey that's not fixed or solved in one day. There's not a snap of the fingers that any therapist or <laughs> any person can just do. Oh my goodness, I, uh, it, it's not 
it's not quite the same as, oh, well, I was taking this one highway that was really busy to work, and now I just take this other road. It, it's not like that. Uh, so first and foremost, I think it's an acceptance that that's going to be a journey, that my relationship to, uh, to how I think, my relationship to how I behave is, is going to be a journey. And then more specifically, because um, people love the practical stuff, I do too, who doesn't? Um, I think it's it's a lot of things. Um, there's no one, if you will, gold standard way yet that we have of how not to ruminate. There's lots of different ideas as a subset of the gold standard of treatment for OCD and things that help various folks. So, I mean, um, mindfulness, absolutely, uh, is such a, an essential part. Um, as I was talking about earlier in our, our individual time, uh, I'll tell folks that mindfulness is not the treatment for OCD, but the treatment for OCD requires mindfulness. At mm. um, some point, it's antithetical. You, you can't ruminate and be truly mindful. And so uh, we could approach that from a, a shaming standpoint or approach it from some expectation, like you're just going to snap your fingers, but like mindfulness is a skill and being present minded is, is a skill. Uh, the stronger those mental muscles are in being able to, um, to practice mindfulness. I mean, I, I think from an umbrella standpoint, that may be uh, one of the biggest, if not the biggest thing in not ruminating. Absolutely. Yeah. And you were, we were kind of discussing earlier um, about the importance of bringing kind of consciousness to, to, to what we're doing with, with OCD. And so sometimes actually the first step in, in treatment is a very simple one. No, it's just bringing more awareness to, to, to what we're doing. So if we do keep getting lost in rumination, but we're not recognizing the fact that we're getting lost in rumination. Yeah. You know, we're, we're really stuck in kind of phase one of the process of OCD and to yeah. get to phase two, almost we need to, to just yeah. start bringing awareness to the fact that, that we're, yeah. that we're doing that. Yeah. And, and one other thing that I'll add too, with that awareness is getting, getting support around us of people who know their stuff. Mm. um is is really huge because it, let's let's talk about the person who's successful in not ruminating <laughs> um so the person who's gotten to that place where they're not ruminating uh, any number of things are, are going to talk about uh maybe some positive beliefs about their worry that i thought it did something for me and i I learned that it didn't. How did you learn that it didn't? Well, maybe a lot of different ways. So talk to Dover, life consequences. My uh, uh, girlfriend finally said, that's enough. If you ask me one more time about this, dot, dot, dot. Or you know, maybe that yeah. friend is like, brother, I love you and I'm here to support you, but this is too much. Like it, so a lot of different pieces can, can fit in there, but what makes the person successful? Well um that awareness yeah is huge and if they do that in a, a way that they have supportive others who um either know what they're talking about or they're willing to discover with you 
what in the world is going on. That's really key. Um, there's a, a post that I have upcoming on my blog about, uh, I used kind of a clickbait title, even though I don't like clickbait articles. <laughs> One way to spot OCD, even if you're not entirely sure. And it's talking about, it's one of the things that I've discovered in countless hours of therapy with, uh, with individuals. Uh, there, there can be a feel and a flavor to, to remedy. Mm, and people, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, people have to learn it for themselves, but it's also possible to spot it outwardly. Absolutely. Yeah. I think that's a really important point. Certainly in my own experience with, with rumination, mm. it's mm. often that that mm. that kind of has helped me the most in the past to recognize when I'm stuck. It's that that sick feeling in the stomach or, mm. you know, a kind of bit of a headache that starts to to form because you're so focused on on the rumination. You know, you're holding your shoulders too tightly. Or yeah. you're just, you know, yeah. there's there's so often, you know, physical uh, telltale signs in the body. Um, but yeah, I, I think, uh, you know, your general point, what, what you said earlier is so true that it's a process. Um, it's something, a skill that you can learn to develop over time. Um, you know, certainly for me, that's been the case. I, I would say, you know, once I started to, to work out uh, that rumination was such a big problem, I slowly, little by little, started to pick it apart, you know, by first bringing more awareness to it. And then starting to, to break down, you know, how to disengage from it. Um, mindfulness was a big part of that. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, other elements as well. And, and being more in tune with, with the feelings behind it and the emotions mm -hmm. behind it, which, uh, which unfortunately, you know, emotions for a long time for me was something that I was just blocking out. You know, I, I think it's so often true for people with OCD. It's like, mm. what for yeah. whatever reason, it's uh, difficult emotions have been have become rather than something that we allow ourselves to feel mm. and mm. to hopefully process and to to move on from. Mm. Uh, we people tend to just try to find a way to get rid of it, to block mm. it. Mm to do whatever they can and and um you know rumination is actually one of those tools that that I personally was using <laughs> and I think uh you know many people are with with OCD yeah yeah and that's where too um back to the origin story um though I don't have OCD uh, the Y box that we use for rating the severity of OCD, um, I believe you can go up to seven and be subclinical. I would hit several numbers at any given point. If I took that test any given month, I'm sure I'd hit three, four, five, six. Um, <laughs> yeah. and, and I was diagnosed years back with generalized anxiety disorder, which is commonly referred to as the worry disorder. So rumination is something that I, I get personally. Absolutely. Yeah. and professionally yeah okay well that's interesting that you have you have your own personal experience with it and i think you know ultimately everybody does everybody has experience with uh anxiety however you know if you do have uh generalized anxiety disorder or ocd then obviously it's uh an yeah. extreme version of it so yes. it's uh yeah 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 uh, and one thing i'll say too about the rumination piece is that Oh man, there, there's so many 
its its uh, uh, process or process, <laughs> and um, a lot of things along the way. But then there's some of those things that are uh, more highly associated with the success, and it's going to be mindfulness. And one of the things that isn't necessarily a direct answer to the question, but it also is, is exposures. Um, a lot of times, folks feel uncomfortable hearing that, or be like, or will say, like, "What? Like, it's not going to help with rumination, but it does." So, imaginal scripting for uh, imaginal exposure, uh, when we're talking about the the sexual, religious obsessions, etc., is absolutely amazing. On the other side of it, to talk about how much that can really impact those worry ruminations, because if you actually go for the throat, so to speak, of this. If you go for the heart, um, many times it can have an impact. Now, at the same time, even if a person is, let's say, 100%, who, who is perfect, right, with these, but let's say, just hypothetically, a person's 100% ex successful with exposures, they can solve plenty of different worry rumination and so depressive rumination, any number of things. And so mm. it's, it's a process and, and learning to incorporate and integrate those things for, for the individual is really important. Mm. What do you, um, what do you think are some of the, the limitations of um, ERP? Because obviously, you know, it's the gold standard. Uh, it's a very effective treatment. We know that. Um, mm -hmm maybe not limitations, but how do we, I mean, there are limitations to it if you just do ERP on its own, yeah. I believe. Um, how, do we, how do we scaffold ERP in the best possible way in order mm -hmm. to make sure that, that that hard work that you do by going for the throat, as, as you said, kind of with, <laughs> with doing exposure work. Um, so violent today. <laughs> How how do we how do we best support people with you know holistic approaches to make sure that you know that work um, isn't just kind of because you know yeah. for example if we if we go over one particular theme and we go for that and the person learns to uh, to deal with that or acclimatize to that um, but you don't also work the rumination or you don't also work the mindfulness skills, or we don't also work other things, then mm -hmm. I feel like it can be very easy for that person to just move their, their focus onto another thing that they're mm -hmm. going to obsess about. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They're, <laughs> cool. Yeah, there's, uh, there's a lot that I could say. So back to the, the ERP, the scaffolding of that. I think that readiness for exposure is so essential. Um, what is there, first of all, in life that we don't have some preparation for that is significant to us? Maybe it's um, preparing a child for their first day in kindergarten or preparing the home for the first time you bring home a pet, uh, preparation of education and schooling and training, or even just a new job of, uh, all right, a month, I'm going to learn these skills and maybe shadow somebody else. And CBT is, it comes out of what's known as social learning theory. It, it's a learning model of how do we learn as people and uh, applied to thoughts and behaviors. And 
So if we look at it from that standpoint, we can really demystify it and, and appreciate that exposure can be a really hard thing, but it's certainly not harder than living with the disorder long-term. Uh, I, I believe, I suppose that's a personal opinion thing. Many clients will talk about that. Um, and so the readiness is so essential and how we talk about it, how we present it is really key, even outside of some of those things that we might do, like mindfulness during exposures and act work and so forth. I think just off the bat and, and continuously checking in with the person, how are they doing? How are they feeling with the process? What are their expectations? How do they expect my role to come in to the process? How much do they expect to get better, feel better? Uh, any number of different expectations and preparations for, for the specific work. So we know statistically that the dropout rate of exposure is it's pretty severe. Um, so uh, there's, there's a handful of different studies um, uh, kind of summarizing it appears that close to 20% of people are like, no, thank you. <laughs> so they have the option, they're offered. It's like, nope, I'm good. Yeah. Uh, and then another, I believe it's 20 to 30% of people end up dropping out. And so that's effectively, right, half of people that could get exposure, could do it um, and or do do it that aren't getting those benefits. And so we, we talk about this a lot and it's professionals, like how it's not about necessarily making it more palatable, but uh, what about the readiness? Are we presenting it in a way uh, much like a doctor would say, hey, you know, here's the best treatments we have to date. It's really your choice. It's a consent mm. process, but let me explain each of these. Mm. Uh, for example, cognitive therapy for OCD, it's, it's not considered the gold standard. However, if a person turns down exposure, they, they need to know, in my opinion, that that exists because some people just are not willing to do exposure. Well, they, they can know that, all right, there's something that um, you know, doesn't have as much of a, a standing, but here's this. Uh, did you know TMS exists? Uh, transcranial magnetic stimulation mm -hmm. uh, yeah, now yeah, yeah. in the US, FDA approved. Now, again, we're not talking about the gold standard. Um, and TMS is definitely not a first-line treatment for OCD. It's not what we want to pick first thing. But um, all of that to say that I think how we talk about it, expectations that we set, the preparation for it is really huge. And then when we actually get into the work, it really just has to be assessed by, by the person. And it's, to me, outside of the most, most complex cases, which are the rare cases, it's really not that hard to just continue as a clinician to ask those questions uh, about how the person's experience is. Uh, it, it's essential for the treatment to do it well to continue to assess what's going on. And so invariably, I find that some people uh, are preloaded with, for example, a lot of the mindfulness skills. They've mm. done the deep breathing. They're already listening to <laughs> uh, Headspace and uh, doing that for 15, 20 minutes a day. And so when I start to talk about mindfulness, they're like, yeah, oh, great. Let's go. I've had clients teach me a lot on <laughs> yeah, especially yeah, yeah. mindfulness. And yeah. so functionally assessed, we're going to, that, that means what is the function for that person that mm. we're going to understand what's, what's the problem? Uh, what's the barrier? And some people are going to need uh, a lot more of any number of things or a lot less. Uh, and that's where in therapy, we might actually make that pivot to say, okay, well, 
we just started with the education, the awareness, I introduced exposure and response prevention, and the person's maybe a little iffy or they're all in. Um, so that next thing is gonna be completely context dependent on the prior thing where that person is. Mm, yeah, okay. Fantastic, I think it's a really thorough answer you give me there and it's really, uh, really good. Mm. Um, Okay, changing uh, changing a little bit. I'd like to ask you a bit more about faith because obviously yeah. Christianity is uh, very important to you. Yeah. Um, and I wanted to speak a little bit about how you see um, um, faith and 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 how how uh, that interacts with with OCD and and some of the problems that people who are struggling with uh, with OCD. Uh, can can have with you know be it scrupulosity or even you know struggles that people have with faith if they are you know maybe they're having difficulty with their their treatment because of their faith um mm. could you talk uh i'm sure you have plenty to say uh, about this but it's a, it's a quite an open question great yeah yeah so first of all um just coming out with some of the the directive, uh, straightforward statements. Um, I don't. I don't think that um, OCD is a faith problem. Mm. Um, and at the same time, I do believe that we are biological, psychological, social, and spiritual beings. Mm. And therapy is always going to involve proper consent. And so, if, for example, I may think that it's wonderful to involve a family member into treatment. I may talk about that. And the person may turn me down. This happens uh, regularly, actually. The opposite happens too, more, more commonly where somebody says, yeah, bring that person in. But sometimes a person says, no, <laughs> I don't want to. Um, not worth it. I want to do this on any number of reasons. So of course, I'm going to respect that. On the spiritual side, same thing. But with, with most people worldwide endorsing, uh, not, not even religion, but something of a spiritual foundation being important to them or having some spiritual beliefs. Uh, and then there are now some studies that are discovering that actually most people as well would like spiritual things to be incorporated into their treatment. Um, we, we have the proper evidence to say, hey, it's important, it's significant to clients. Now, uh, the therapy world is struggling with how to do that in ethical ways, how to do it, uh, et cetera. And so, let's just simplify it and say, okay, um, when the person comes to treatments, uh, we're going to assess, of course, uh, all the, the necessary essentials, life uh, diagnoses, impacts of that diagnosis or diagnoses um, with OCD, how is that impacting that person? And most people think of faith and religion and spirituality um, in OCD as scrupulosity. That mm. is a major misnomer to think that only scrupulous obsessions, only uh, the clients who have scrupulous obsessions are going to care about bringing the faith. Not at all. Not at all. Like I have clients who are missing out going to church because of contamination obsessions. Mm. Absolutely. I'm sure you do right now in, in particular with, with yeah. COVID going on. Yeah. And, um, and well, even outside of that, for sure. And so uh, it becomes, becomes a, a 
big thing in uh, in a number of different ways. Um, just want to reiterate that OCD is it's not a faith problem, um, but at the same time, the faith side of things is so so important. And it, let me touch on Christianity specifically. Um, though I work with people of all backgrounds and beliefs, for for Christians. Many Christians ultimately put that as that highest thing. And so many Christians are willing to say, if I can't find a treatment that is a subset of faith, then I just won't do it. <laughs> They're willing to suffer, willing to uh, carry their cross, so to speak, if, if they think that it has to be contradictory or it's not a subset of their faith. And I think it's so important to say that it doesn't, <laughs> absolutely not. Mm -hmm. uh, and in fact, the cool thing that I get to see is the, the freedom that comes that when people uh, learn to have a different relationship to their obsessions, different relationship to anxiety, different mm -hmm. relationship to compulsions, that they start to get their life back. And that that's just so much fun to watch. So getting their life back means, oh, instead of, prayer being a burden it gets to be the thing that it was intended to be communication with god and mm. uh, and oftentimes a source of peace and comfort or uh, uh being able to uh um, to do the discipline practice the discipline of prayer and, and submission etc instead of all the different uh squeaky little compulsions getting in the way uh and adding extra weight uh, to these things yeah absolutely and so so in your view um you know spirituality be it whether you have uh, a, a particular faith or religion that you follow or be mm -hmm. it just the way that you in, interpret the world and you find your meaning in the world mm -hmm. can mm -hmm. actually be incredibly helpful as one of those kind of holistic tools we were talking about earlier mm -hmm. to absolutely know, to, to really support you yeah. through your experience of having ocd yeah. and perhaps to find a bit more meaning yeah. uh, in in the struggle yep absolutely if we back fill so to speak what ocd does ocd comes through it's this bulldozer in a person's life uh and it's torn up uh, think of a beautiful forest and it's just completely torn up all this land those beautiful forests and so forth if we go back in and kind of fill in those pieces and say what was this what was this at a micro and a macro level, various uh, various decisions, various uh, moments of stress and anxiety can really start to compound on each other. And so, it, as I mentioned, even with the contamination example, that person just stops going to their place of worship, um, which stinks. Uh, I hate that for for folks when when they come in. It's like, I'm, yeah, I just don't do this anymore. I, I just couldn't. I just couldn't tolerate it. But obviously it extends into relationships too. The, maybe it's reassurance questions. And again, not just with scrupulosity, uh, but with other things, maybe relationships uh, fill in the blank. Uh, and so uh, the if we actually uh, incorporate well the spiritual side of things um, for, for that person and let them incorporate it, uh, there's a number of things that can happen, but a couple of really obvious ones. One, they might just start to do exposures. 
more naturally <laughs> in a more natural organic way as well because when you actually start to interact with people uh, more again it's going to poke on some of those things but then secondarily too all of the, the purpose and focus and direction that comes from uh, being a part of a larger community that's looking at a bigger picture my goodness uh, those things can really catapult recovery uh, and, and i'm not here to be a snake oil salesman oh this guy's a christian so he's just trying to say christianity is going to fix all your problems no but let's look at it from the standpoint that if I get back these number of things, and if I walk with a good community, people who are willing to uh, walk with me and, and understand, um, it's, uh, I can't say this with the research paper backing, but in personal experience, people who recover the quickest have a lot of different things going on. And one of them is definitely that they found a community and they were living with purpose. Mm, absolutely, uh, 100% agree with that. That's uh, mm. definitely, definitely true. And in today's times with, with COVID, um, you know, many people are, you know, who were perhaps struggling beforehand anyway with mm -hmm. contamination issues. Those might be uh, even more complicated uh, now than, than before. And yeah, you know, yeah. people are perhaps more fearful and, and uh, more mindful of, of death um it's something that that you know might come into their minds more often yeah. um and again if you have some kind of spiritual belief um that's certainly something that can really help you uh in in order to to let go of some of those obsessions mm -hmm. fantastic well um if you if you just the final question if you could um only give one piece of advice to people who are struggling uh, with OCD and anxiety, what would it be? Put you on the spot a little bit. <laughs> um, oh, man. <laughs> so I'm just going to go with the first thought that came to my mind. Um, hey, you are loved. <laughs> you're loved. You're worthwhile. Um, it obsessions and various mental health struggles really, really can powerfully get in the way of uh, what is reality. <laughs> and to be able to, the person may not feel it, may not believe it, but just to have enough people hopefully around them maybe just one person that uh that says you're you're loved um interesting thing for a clinician to say maybe i don't know um but i think that that's really essential and i've also learned to go ahead and answer those like a test question <laughs> but if i spend too long looking for the perfect answer uh it will evade me all answers will evade me <laughs> so i'm gonna go with uh that you're loved um and, and worthwhile, because um, there's, uh, it, it's likely, if you're suffering, you're listening to this today, it's probably been a tough journey, or um, even if you're on the positive side and trending upwards, so to speak, uh, it's, it does us all well to know that we have, have some hope, uh, that we're loved. Um, so, yeah. 
Fantastic. That's a, a great answer. Justin, thank you so much for your time. It's been uh, wonderful talking to you. It's been great. Thank you, Robert. Just a quick reminder that if you want to get a free session, all you need to do to get that is to head over to my website, www.robertjamescoaching.com. And there you can leave me a message and we can arrange the uh, free session. And now just a quick reminder of my disclaimer. Any information that you view on my website, Instagram page, Facebook group, or anywhere else online, or any information that you listen to on the podcast is for informational purposes only and is not intended to be a substitute for actual medical or mental health advice from a doctor, psychologist, or any other medical or mental health professional.